Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to Hebrews chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 50, 5 0. Hebrews chapter 11, Genesis chapter 50, in a Bible study that I've entitled, By Faith, Joseph Commanded, Take My Bones. That was the episode that is highlighted in Joseph's life here in chapter 11. Now for us today, there is no other way to live life in Christ than by faith. There's no other way to be saved, no other way to enjoy God, no other way to live our lives except by faith. That's why there's so much thrown your way to discourage you, to distract you, to cause you to doubt the Word of God. I mean, it's just coming on every angle. We know what Jesus said. Jesus said, that he would build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And we always take that positive angle. Yes, the, the gates of hell will not prevail. We are strong. God is for us. He's building the church. But we are living in a day. We are living in a season where we are experiencing in a very real way a heightened awareness of the attack upon the church of Jesus Christ, upon you as a believer to distract you, to harm you, discourage you, to ultimately take you out. And like to Eve in the Garden of Eden, the devil has a habit, it's a familiar habit, of whispering or even shouting to us the exact same things that he told Eve in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Remember what he said? Let me give you just a little phrase that you hear constantly. Has God indeed said? Over and over and over again, you and I are tested with that very question. Did God really mean what he said? I mean, look at your circumstances, Ed. Look what you're going through. Look at what you're feeling. Look what they did. Look how that's happening. Did God really say? And if I'm not careful, I'll start listening to the lies of the enemy. And anytime I start listening to the lies of the enemy, I am more prone to believe the lies of the enemy. And when I find myself in a place believing the lies of the enemy, my faith is gone. And I'm no longer trusting God with that situation, but rather I'm trusting someone or something else. Since faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, if I fail to trust God at His Word, I'm sunk. If we fail to trust God at His Word, we are sunk, church. It's over. And that's where the first century believers here, Jewish believers, they're at a tipping point in their life. They're at a tipping point of all their experiences. Through Judaism, they were taught, look for the Savior, look for the Messiah. Each time the blood was shed, it spoke of a greater blood. Through all the sacrifices, all the worship, all the pomp, all the circumstance was pointing to the coming of Messiah. 
Jesus comes on the scene and declares himself to be the savior of the world, the fulfillment of God. John the Baptist, he looks at him and says, this is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And some of those Jewish men and women left Judaism and embraced the fulfillment of all that they hoped for. They became Christ followers. They became disciples of Christ. They became believers. In our, our day and age, you would call them Christians, but they paid a high price. They lost everything for the cause of Christ, literally. They lost their friends. They lost their family. They lost their inheritance. They lost their possession. They lost their standing in their community. They lost everything. Oh, what they gained was far greater than what they lost. But you know as well as I do, as we begin to measure the future gain compared to the loss today, it can overwhelm a person. And they began to think about going backwards. They're at a tipping point. Should I go forward? or should I go backward? Should I endure, or should I neglect this such a great salvation? And that's where this letter comes in that we've been studying now for many, many weeks, the letter to the Hebrews. It's pastoral in nature, although the first part of it is very theological, filled with theological truth. With the heart of the pastor, I believe the author, Paul, even though there's debate over that, writes with strong conviction, both theologically and practically, to this challenge group. And for the first 10 chapters, over and over and over again, the same message was repeated a different way. Jesus is better. No matter how you measure, no matter what you look at, Jesus is better compared to everything in your life. He is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. You have made the right decision in following him. He's better, he's better, he's better. Then chapter 11 becomes an application chapter. It's a chapter on faith because you may come to the conclusion, okay, I believe you, Jesus is better. I want to go forward, but I don't know how. And chapter 11 says, this is how. It's always been this way, it's this way now, and it will be this way for the rest of your life until you see Jesus face to face. We live by faith. And if you choose to go backwards still, if you choose to neglect such a great salvation, and you want to go backwards, you're going to have to go backwards past all of these people. If you want to go backwards, you're going to have to talk to Abel along the way, where he learned to worship by faith. You're going to have to pass by not only Abel, but you're going to have to pass by Enoch, where he walked with God. You're going to have to talk to him. You want to go backwards? You're going to have to face Enoch. You're going to have to face Noah. By faith, Noah built the ark. Never saw a drop of rain in his life, but he obeyed God. You're going to have to go past Abraham. You're going to have to go past Sarah. You're going to have to go past Isaac. You're going to have to go past Jacob. Today, you're going to have to go past Joseph. All these men and women filled with faith, with less than you and I have today. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have technology. They didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the explanation of the new covenant. But they had faith. <laughs> and faith got them through. And friend, the Lord wants to remind you today, faith will get you there. Faith will get you there. Your trust in God will get you to the finish line. God will meet you in your trust and get you to the finish line. 
And this is his conclusion. Now, chapter 11 actually doesn't really end, if you notice in verse 40. The conclusion of chapter 11 actually isn't verse 40. It goes on, if you're going to pass all these, and we're going to get to other people besides Joseph, we're going to get to Moses' parents, we're going to look to Moses, we're going to look to Joshua, we're going to look to Rahab, we're going to have all these other people that aren't even named, of whom the world was not worthy, and and yet it doesn't end in chapter 11. If you want to go backwards, you're going to have to go through Jesus the author and finisher of your faith, the one who endured. All of these true stories of men like you and me, men and women like you and me are great, but you've got to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. You've got to keep looking at Jesus. You've got to, keep, you've got to stare at him. You've got to stare at him so long that your eyes get dry and you want to start blinking so much because you won't take your eyes off of him. And faith will get you through. Notice, in verse 22 now as we come to Joseph. It says, By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. That's what Joseph is, of all the episode in life of Joseph, this is what he gets into the hall of faith for. His final words as he's dying. As he's dying, he's not laying hands in blessing like we see his dad or his grandpa. As he's dying, he's got a couple of words to share. Number one, he mentions the departure. And number two, he mentions his bones. This is what I want you to do with my bones. Don't leave my bones in Egypt. And he said that by faith. Now come back to Genesis chapter 50, 5, 0, and let's pick up in verse 15. Now more, more of Genesis is dedicated to the life of Joseph than anything in anyone else. That's how important he is. Now Joseph in and of himself is a very strong encouragement to us of all the things he faced and all the things he went to, through. But Joseph is simply a type of Jesus Christ. He's a type of the greater one to come, as we'll see through this time. When you see Joseph, when you watch what he endured, he also points you to the one that will come, a type and a picture of Jesus. And we know that up to this point, Joseph has been separated from his family through a series of horrific decisions. And now in chapter 50, his dad dies. His dad dies. And in verse 15, his brothers are afraid. And it makes sense. Notice with me in verse 15, Genesis 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespass of your servants of God, of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Many years have passed now since the family of Joseph arrived in Egypt. Remember, a famine hit the land. And Jacob said, I heard there's food in Egypt. And he sent his sons to Egypt to buy grain so that they wouldn't die. 
But it was all a setup from God. The famine, really, if you look at the life of Joseph, it was all something that God had behind the scenes. And now many years later, Jacob has finally died. And you can think that this would finally be the episode in time where Joseph can get back at his brothers. I mean, after all, there's a little bit of that in us, in all of us, to think, okay, I've waited long enough. The opportunity has come. All the hurt, all the pain. Let's just consider for a moment the hurt and pain that Joseph went through. Joseph was just a kid, highly favored by his dad, of no fault of his own. His dad loved him more than his others. That was a fault of the dad, but it wasn't Joseph's fault. And because of that special favor of his dad, because of that special favor of his dad, his brothers, it says three times in one section, hated him. They hated him. There was great, significant jealousy and sibling rivalry in this family. His brothers were not the best sort. A couple of them raped and murdered. It was, it was a bad, difficult, dysfunctional family. And because of their hatred toward Joseph, they came up with a plan, a conspiracy to kill him. But cooler heads prevailed, and instead of killing him, they threw him in a pit to die. And still yet, cooler heads prevailed, and instead of leaving him in the pit, they got him out of the pit, and I'm sure Joseph thought, okay, finally, it's enough, it's enough, let's go home. Instead of going home, they saw these Ishmaelite slave traders coming, and they sold their brother. They literally sold their brother for money, for silver, as a slave, in every sense of that word. And he heads into Egypt, and he gets sold again to a man by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar was a high official in Egypt. And again, coming out of the pit, looks like, I'm good, looks like things are getting better, they get worse. You traveling there in shackles as a slave, you brought to this slave market, you're bought by a high official, and it looks like perhaps, I know things are bad, but we're going to make the best of it. And he comes into Potiphar's house, and he is so well, God is with him, the Bible says, he's so trusted that Potiphar allows him to oversee all of his house. Very rich, successful, high-level official in Egypt. But Potiphar has a missus. You know what her name is? Mrs. Potiphar. We don't know what her name is. Mrs. Potiphar. She sees young Joseph and his attractiveness, and she attempts to have sexual relations with him, and he refuses, and he says no. Well, this infuriates as she, day after day, was throwing herself upon Joseph, infuriates her. She accuses Joseph of rape. Her husband believes her, throws him in prison, and once again, Joseph is paying the price of that initial hatred of his brothers. And there he is in prison, forgotten. And I know we always try to look at the situation and see the best in it, but he was in a deep prison in shackles. Yes, God was with him. He was given responsibility over others, but you know, it all depends on how you, what you emphasize. Yeah. Oh yeah, Joseph had all that he wanted. He was so good. He had this responsibility in prison. Or you could look at it this way. Yeah, you know, Joseph had responsibility in prison falsely accused. And then two guys get thrown in from the court of, of, of Pharaoh. Uh, he talks to them, interprets their dreams. One's released, 
Well, they're both released, actually. One is killed and one lives and restored to his place. And before they leave, Joseph says, remember me. Would you tell Pharaoh about me? Remember, it's not Pharaoh. Why am I here? It's not true. Would you? And wouldn't you know it? It looks up. They leave. Things are looking up for Joseph, and he's forgotten. And then finally, word comes into the prison. Joseph, Pharaoh wants to see you. What? Pharaoh wants to see you. And remember, God revealed the dream to him. There were going to be years of famine. And as he opens up the wisdom of God to Pharaoh, he becomes second in command. And we think kind of the story's over there, right? Well, look what God did. He's second in command. Yeah. Separated from his dad and his brothers and his mom and his family, his nieces, his nephews, his home. Oh, he's second in command, but it's been a hard, hard life. Just like the life some of you have lived. A hard, hard life. And hard, hard lives are not made up of years, are they? They're not made up of months. They're not made up of weeks or even days. Hard lives are lived one moment at a time. One situation at a time. Even as we're living in one of the most unprecedented, difficult times in all of our generation, you're finding things, aren't you, stacking up this and this and this and this to where you two are at a tipping point. Tensions are high. Frustrations are high. I mean, you're right on the edge. I wonder how many listening to me today have already chosen to walk away from the Lord, already chosen to walk away from that new fact. It's been too hard. It's been too difficult. And then you mix in your own opinions. You mix in the unfairness of it all. You mix in the possibility of conspiracy theories and political advantages. And you look at it, you go, it's just unfair. It's unfair. It's unfair. It's unfair. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. If that's how you feel, then you understand Joseph. You understand his life. Except for Joseph, all of this came at the hands of his family. His messed up, dysfunctional, upside down family. You know, we can't all choose our families, but we can choose how to respond in our families. We can't choose who adopted us, or we can't choose what family we were born into, or what foster home we came into, or what grandmother raised. We can't choose those things. Many of the choices in our life have been made for us, but we can choose how to respond. That's where Joseph is. So now, at the end, it seemed like, you know, the, Jacob and his sons, they all got that land of Goshen. They're starting to thrive. They're, everything's turning around for them. Joseph revealed himself. It's been great. They've been living it up. 50 plus years they've been able to enjoy Egypt. Now Joseph's coming to the end of his life. Jacob is dead. Jacob's dead. Dad's gone. This would be the time. This is it. And you know, the brothers are the ones coming up with that. Joseph's not thinking about it. The Bible doesn't say he's thinking about it at all. It says the brothers are. Because unconfessed sin has a way of eating up a person. It has a way of destroying the inside of a person. Because think of this from the brothers' perspective for a moment. They know what they did. Every moment of every day. They had to do something with it. They didn't tell their dad. You know, on top of everything they did to Joseph, look what they did to mom and dad. Coming back with his, his clothes soaked in blood. Your, your son is dead, dad. Uh, you'll never see him again. He's gone. 
And to think of how many times they heard their dad weep and wail. You know, for this, it ruined Jacob. This completely changed his life, the loss of his son Joseph. It completely, it it changed him forever. And there his brothers, every one of them, had to deal with the fact that they knew the truth. That they not only, you know, this is the thing about lying. You know, you think the lie is an event. And it is. A lie is an event. But if you don't tell the truth, then you are now living the lie. And when you live a lie and you live with unconfessed sin, it grows. And the only thing you can really do is learn how to stuff it down. The only thing you can really do is how how to harden yourself toward the cries of someone else. The only thing you can really do is is just talk yourself out of it. No, it's not that big a deal. No, God already forgave me. I can't tell you how many times somebody will come and confess sin and they sin against another and they go, well, God's already, well, you got to tell the other person, you got to ask them for forgiveness, like the advice of Jacob here. You got to ask for forgiveness. And they'll say, oh no, God's already forgiven me. Hey, for true repentance, you deal with everybody. Psalm 51. You not only sin against God, but you sin against man. And so this is good advice from Jacob. Hey, you better, you better ask for forgiveness, boys. You better mean it. What you did was wrong. As we'll see in a moment, Joseph called it what it was. It was evil, wicked, these boys. This family was messed up. And after dad dies, the boys come and say, the brothers come. These are grown men, by the way. I call them boys. These are grown men with families of their own. They finally come to the place where they ask for forgiveness. They ask for forgiveness, notice, and and see what the response was. Verse 19. Joseph said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? He says, don't be afraid of me. I'm not God. And isn't it good sometimes just to remember, you're not God. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And it's good to know that I'm not responsible. I'm not God. So everything that's happened in my life doesn't end with me. It's Father filtered. Everything that comes into your life is Father filtered. It's filtered from Him and it goes back to Him. Because there's a bigger picture of your life and mine. So he says, I'm not God. And then he says in verse 20, one of the most epic Bible passages, one of the most epic passages in all the Bible. He looks at his brothers and he says, but for you, you meant evil against me. That's true. Joseph called it what it was. He didn't minimize it. So what you did was evil, wicked. Not like they needed to know that, but it's always good to dwell on the truth. What you meant was evil, but notice. But God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. For you math majors, let me give you an equation. Let me help you with something. You might want to jot this down. It's so beautiful. Repentance plus forgiveness equals reconciliation. Repentance plus forgiveness equals reconciliation. And four things are gifts to you and me in reconciliation. Notice what they are. Number one. When there's forgiveness and repentance, there's reconciliation. Number one, notice, there's, when when that happens, number one, there's no more fear. 
You don't need to be afraid of being caught, being found out. You don't need to be afraid of any consequences. No more fear. You don't have to fear the person. It's all out in the open. It's you admitted it. They forgave you. God is at work. Number two, not only is there no fear, but number two, there's provision. There's provision. There's a lot of needs that come from brokenness. And whatever you need, you're no longer walking in the darkness. You're walking in the light. God is ready to provide. Just like Joseph says here as he stands there as a representative of Jesus Christ. I will provide for you and all of your family. Which means, remember, as a born-again believer, all the generations of your family change because of you. Everything changes going forward. God begins to work backwards, but everything changes because now of your faith, now you're leading your home in the ways of God. You may not have been raised that way, but now because you're born again, you're raising your kids and grandkids. You're talking to your family. So number two, there's provision. Number three, notice, when there's reconciliation, there's comfort. <laughs> I love that. You're just comforted. You've been all so filled with angst and difficult. But when there's reconciliation, God comforts. Remember, God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. And then notice the last one. When there's reconciliation, there's kindness. There's a sweetness that returns. And you're not always on edge anymore. You're not always so mad anymore. You're not always so beat. It, it's, there's freedom through forgiveness. There's freedom through repentance. And there's freedom when those two come together, when reconciliation shows up. No more fear. The provisions of God, comfort and kindness. So good. That's what's happening here. You guys meant it for evil. But, but God is bigger than this. God is bigger than this. Notice verse 21. Well, verse 22 says, Now Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. <laughs> this is where you read the Bible and you just miss. Like if you read it too fast, you're just kind of going through the, your daily reading or reading it through and you miss it too fast. Let me just repeat this, okay? This is Joseph who thought he'd never see his dad again. Who thought he was abandoned by his family who thought perhaps in any time, if I was in Joseph's sandals, I certainly like, forget this. What's going on here? I, what is happening in my life? That's this Joseph that was thrown in a pit. That's Joseph that was sold as a slave. That's Joseph that was accused of rape. That's Joseph where everybody believed the accusations. That's Joseph that was thrown in prison. That's Joseph that was forgotten in prison. That Joseph, that Joseph. Do you guys know the Joseph I'm talking about? Listen, he saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Maker and the son of Manasseh were also brought up on Joseph's knees. Joseph not only saw his kids, he saw his grandkids and his great-grandkids and his great-great-grandkids and they sat on his knees. Joseph was given the privilege, the great privilege of being a strong influence in their lives. Can you imagine being those kids on the knees of Joseph? Joseph talking to him, hey, I want to tell you about Adam and Eve and how God created the world. See the stars? God created those. He has power that his word, he just could speak forth in existence, God could. I want to tell you about Cain and Abel, you know, you brothers, you be careful. 
You be careful because there was already hatred and there was already wickedness in the fall of man. And, and when, when Adam and Eve made those decisions, your great, 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 great grandma and grandpa, when they, and they, they so hated, there was such great hatred between Cain and Abel that there was murder. I want to tell you about Enoch. This guy lived like forever and then he just disappeared. Just up, God took him. But he knew what it was like to walk. I want to tell you about Noah. Noah never saw a drop of rain. You know how it rained sometimes? Yeah. Well, he never saw a drop of rain, but God told him to build a boat, and he built a boat. I want to tell you about Abraham, Sarah. They were so old. There's no way they could have a baby. Ha, ha, ha. That's so true. You know, now you kids are all like, oh, don't talk about that. Dad. I don't want to know. About. No, they were so old. Their bodies. But God gave him and promise after promise after promise after promise. And then I want to tell you about my, your uncles. And how bad it was. I'm sure he didn't rehearse the whole thing, but he says, I want to tell you about a pit. Come on over here, guys. I want to talk to you about what it's like to be in prison, what it's like to be forgotten, because you're going to have a hard time too. This world's going to be hard because sin. He, he, got to, he got to raise his kids and grandkids at his knees. And I imagine the stories that he told them. Who could have predicted that all that Joseph experienced and endured would lead to this? Nobody, ever. And Joseph, verse 24, said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. And so Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him and put his coffin in Egypt. Genesis 50:20 reminds us of the New Testament principle, Romans 8:28. God is working all things together for the good. Those that love him, those that are called according to his purpose. Don't you think for a moment, everything you're facing, all the issues of our culture, all the government edicts, all the restrictions, all of that is ever, never, ever going to stop the will of God in your life. He's using it all for you. It's all being worked together. You look at it and go, well, it's meant for evil. It's meant for evil. Perhaps it is meant for evil, but God has meant it for good to bring it about this day, the work he wants to accomplish in your life and mine. When you lose the big picture, you lose faith. When you lose the promises of God, you lose faith. You can only make it by faith. When you lose faith, you start to doubt God. You start to neglect God. You start to ignore God. And then before you know it, you're in the world and now you've become of the world. And it wasn't even your choice. It was just your responses to the difficulties of life. Joseph here, at the end of his life, he knew Romans 8.28 before it was ever written. <laughs> he knows it before it was ever new covenant. He knows it before Saul of Tarsus was ever born. He looks at his brothers firsthand and says, everything you did with the wrong motives, you were wicked, evil, and sinful. Well, guess what? God is bigger than your evil, wicked, sinful ways. And here we are, boys saved by God. <laughs> and look, at I got all these kids and grandkids, and God is doing a work. And by the way, God's not done, because He's going to visit you guys, and you're going to leave Egypt. You're going to leave Egypt, and you are going into the promised land. God has a promise for you. There is a greater one still to come, the Messiah, Savior. He is to come. You will not stay here. Now, think about this for a second. In Egypt, Jacob's kids, the children of Israel, had it made. This is the epitome of 
kingdoms in Egypt. They were the richest, most successful, gold, silver, food. They got that whole land of Goshen for free. They're multiplying all their possessions, all their cattle, all their money. They came in destitute and begging for grain. Now for these last years, 50 plus years or so, they have multiplied. Multiplied. We're not leaving Egypt, man. (laughs) Uh, We like it here. But they had to exchange, as you'll see Moses later, the passing pleasures of sin for the promises of God. And Joseph's saying, look, God promised. God promised Abraham. God promised Isaac. God promised dad. And I'm reminding you of the promise. When God visits... When God visits and takes you out of Egypt, he says, take my bones with you, which is a very interesting command. It's almost like Joseph is saying, don't leave me in Egypt. I want the promises of God. I want them all. Don't you leave my bones here. Already he's taken his dad back in the beginning of chapter 50. Jacob's been buried in Canaan where he wanted to be buried. So Joseph is saying, I know they're, they're going to take care of me according to Egyptian customs, but when you guys leave, take me with you. Take my bones. You take that coffin and you carry it with you. And then he makes everyone swear to it. Take an oath. Because generationally, They think they got it made. They think they got it made. They think they got it made until, you guys remember, until the Bible says, there arose in Egypt a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. The government turned on the children of Israel. And that is when God's power was on display. That's when the plagues came. That's when Moses came. That's when they were delivered and they left. And when they left, you know what they did? Many years later, you know what they did? They took the bones of Joseph with them. As they left Egypt up to the Red Sea, they had that box full of bones. Waiting. Oh, here we are at the Red Sea. I'm getting ahead in the book of Hebrews, but you can read ahead. Oh no, we're done. It's over. The Egyptians are after. What are we going to do? And the box with the bones would remind them, God said you're going to make it. And what happened? They made it. Then they went through and started wandering for 40 years. You know what they wandered with? That box. They had the box of bones with them. And they're wandering and wandering and wandering. What's happening to us? We're never going to make it in. God has abandoned us. God doesn't care. But there was that box with the bones that reminded them of what? The promises of God. Oh, you're going to make it through. And did the next generation make it through? Indeed, they did. God raised up another type of Jesus Christ. His name is Joshua. Joshua leads them again to another impossibility, the Jordan River. Are we going to make it through? Are we going to make it through? Well, the box says, the box says, you're going to make it through. Well, what's the box, Dad? Can you imagine the questions of the kids? What's the box about? Oh, that's just the bones of your grandpa. Oh, no, that's not what they said. You know that box? That box is the bones of your grandpa. And your grandpa said that we're going to make it through. And he said when God visited us, that's why we're not in Egypt anymore, son. And when God said he's going to visit us, that we're supposed to take his bones because he wants us to put his bones in the promised land. And when we get in the promised land, son, those are words of authority, that box. When we get into the promised land, son, when we cross the Jordan, son, we're going to make sure that we, tell, we do what grandpa asked us to do. And his bones are going in the promised land. Okay, dad. And he went off to play. 
They cross the Jordan River miraculously. They come to Jericho. Oh no, what are we going to do now? Look at the walls. They're so high, double wide. The men of Jericho, these are not warriors, the children of Israel. They're just farmers. They're just, they're country bumpkins, if you will. They're just folk from out back. You know, they're out in the, in, in the, fields taking care of their animals. They're just agrarian. They're just gross stuff, and, and they just like their own life. They're not warriors. They're not fighters. They come to Jericho. What are we going to do? Well, what do they have when they come to Jericho? What do they have? Church, they have the box that's filled with uh, bones that reminds them of the promise. The walls of Jericho fall, and then they go through the whole promised land. They made it because that box kept telling them over and over. Joseph set it up for them. Over and over again, that box, that coffin filled with bones were telling them, you're going to make it. 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 Here we are, church, listen, worshiping Jesus today because of the faith of Joseph. Because of the faith of Joseph. He said no to Potiphar's wife. He didn't get revenge. He didn't become bitter. He didn't rebel against his God. This man had no Bible. He had no Holy Spirit indwelling him. He had no baptism power of the Spirit. He had no new covenant. But you know what he had? The same thing that you and I have today. You know what he had? Say say it out loud, church. He had faith. And as he's talking to the children of Israel, as he's dying, he says, listen, I'm dying. This is it. But I'm telling you this, God promised he's going to visit you. I want you to promise me that when God visits you, that you will take me with you. Take that box filled with my bones and take that to the promised land. And every time they met a challenge, the box would say, you're going to make it. And God has brought me here today to declare to you here, online, on the radio, wherever you're listening, you're going to make it, church. You're going to make it. Say it out loud. Just say this. I'm going to make it out loud. You ready? One, two, three. I'm going to make it. Okay, I want you to say it again because I'm not going to say it so everybody can hear you say it. Even through the mask, just say it loud. I'm to make it. Isn't that so good? It's so good. It's so good. So, okay, so, so, so where's the box with the bones? How do you know you're going to make it? We don't have a box. We don't have bones. When I sit down in my dying words, I'm not going to tell my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids should God allow me that privilege. I'm not going to tell them, oh, take my casket with you and the bones. No, that, that's not. That's Joseph. No, we don't have a casket or a coffin of remembrance today. No, no. You know what we have? We've got the empty tomb. We have the greater The tomb is empty. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. If you go to Israel with us, if you go to Israel with us, we'll take you last stop of the tour before dinner, before the plane. We're going to take you to a place called the garden tomb. You're going to take through, they'll give you a tour, and they'll give you all the reasons they believe that this was or could very well be the place where they laid Jesus. And you'll be able to go in, you'll be able to walk into it, look around, and you know what you'll find? Nothing. There's no bones there, no dust, nothing. Jesus isn't there. And of course, there's always a few skeptics. Well, Ed, what if that's not the tomb? What if you're looking in the wrong tomb? Okay, I grant that to you. Let's just say we're looking at the wrong tomb. Well, you can search, and if you were to find the very tomb that Jesus is in, you know what you'll find there? Nothing. 
Because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And every time you look to the tomb, every time you think of the cross, you will be reminded you're going to make it. It's not this world. It's not what's up ahead. It's not just the mere deliverance of prison. That's not your hope. Your hope is heaven. It's not just the reconciliation with your family. That's not your hope. Your hope is heaven. It's not just merely, it's not just merely being in a position where you're not hurting anymore, where you're in no more pain, where the grief is gone. No, that's not just here. You're waiting for a time, a city like Abraham, whose builder and maker is God, where there is no more tear, no more anger, no more frustration, no more murder, no more fighting. Heaven is is the goal, gang, and by faith, you're gonna make it. So, with the worship team coming back up, we don't have the coffin. We have the empty tomb. And what did Jesus say? He said, every time we take of the bread, we're to what? Do that in remembrance of Him. He said, every time we take the cup, we're to do that in remembrance of Him. And so we have the cup that speaks of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We have the wafer that speaks of the broken body of Jesus. And we're going to be partaking of this in just a few moments. We have the communion table church that says week after week you're going to make it. Heaven is yours by faith. God has promised it. It will happen. He will get you in. It's His finished work, not yours. And as we come to a time of worship and communion, let Joseph and his life be an encouragement to you. Can we look back at all the pain? Can we look back at all the problems? Can we look back at all of our family dysfunctions, the betrayals, the disappointments, and see the good shepherd? Can we look back through all the difficulties and see the one who promised to never leave or forsake you? Can you see the one who's painting the big picture of your life? and how it fits in with the grand story of His redemption. When we die, will we go bitter? When you die, will you lash out at those who've hurt you and are still hurting you deeply? Those that have literally stolen years from our lives? You know, that's what happened to Joseph. He literally had the best years of his life stolen from him. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Because truly, were those the best years of his life? Not at all. The best years of his life came later, I guess if you use that terminology. But I'd even suggest to you another way of thinking, another way of looking at the best years of your life. It's not your teens and it's not your 20s or 30s, not the prime of your life. I'd I'd suggest that you look at it this way. Your life is prime because it's a gift from God. And no matter where you are today, you're in the prime of your life because that's where God has you. No matter where you are, what age you are, you're in the prime of your life. I know that there have been years stolen from you. Maybe you're the one through your sinful actions, and maybe it's your family, that literally years were, maybe your childhood was stolen from you. And the Lord gave us, gave me a word last night for our church, and I want to share it with you. There are some listening to me right now that have had those prime years, if you say, using that terminology, stolen because of a dysfunctional family. Specifically, there are some here today that have had years taken from them because of an alcoholic mom or dad in the house. And it was really bad and hard for you. And God is asking you to look to Joseph. And God is reminding you to look to the cross. 
and God is reminding you to look to the empty tomb. That although those years were taken and never to be gotten again, and never to be relived again, your life isn't over. The promise is still up ahead. You're at a tipping point. Will you go bitter? Will you continue to go blaming? God says, don't. He says there's healing. He wants you to know you're acknowledged today, that you haven't been forgotten by him. And that the years that the locust has eaten, God can restore those years to you. And that he loves you as his son and as his daughter. And so just let that soak in as you're worshiping. Specifically, if that word was for you, let that soak in. Let, let the forgiveness and the love of God break through the barriers. Maybe you've put wall after wall after wall after wall after wall, and God's just ready for them to fall so we can see the real you, and we can experience the real you that walks by faith, that's not always so filled with hurt and pain and bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. God wants to release you today, especially in the days in which we're in. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song, church. And then I'm going to come and we're going to, I'm going to lead you in prayer. And then Pastor Jason and the team is going to take us out in worship. And I just want you to have that sense of, of receiving as we sing. So let's put ourselves in the mindset, in the mode. Maybe you just want to start praying. You know, there's enough room now with the way the seats are set up. If you want to kneel during this time. But we'll have one song and then we'll take the elements together. And then we'll end in worship with the songs that he selected for us. And we're going to continue in worship so we're not done. I know that the Lord's drawing out some things in your heart and your mind. And, you know, we don't have the coffin with the bones. We have the empty tomb. The bread that speaks of the broken body of Jesus is beating and crushing for you and me. So let's lift this wafer to the Lord and ask for God's blessing upon it as we um, pray over it. Father, we know that a lot is getting stirred up in this life of faith and, and our own personal circumstances. And so we just pray for mercy. We remember what you've done for us. We're reminded that we'll make it. And we pray that you would increase and strengthen our faith today. In Jesus' name, let's partake. As you open the other portion of it is the cup, representative of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is a reminder of his forgiveness, the finished work of the cross. We come to the communion table week after week reminded that we're going to make it, that we're going to arrive, that heaven is yours by faith. There's no therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ, that the promises of God are yes and amen. And so, Father, we pray for the blessing upon this juice that it might represent to us the free-flowing blood of forgiveness that you went to the cross willingly denying yourself and you endured the cross despising the shame. And we pray for that fresh reminder and memory. Bring it back, Lord. Strengthen us. Bring about repentance. Bring about forgiveness. Bring about reconciliation. Remove the fears. Open the floodgates of provision and comfort and kindness on our church today, both near and far. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.